Revelation chapter number 21. This is an amazing passage of God's word. I want you to, to notice what it says about the presence of God. Heaven is described and defined by the presence of God. Verse number one, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. And be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said. Behold I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was likened to the, a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high and had 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I'm going to ask you to turn to Ezekiel. <clears throat> Ezekiel, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And we're going to go to the last chapter of Ezekiel, chapter 48. Ezekiel, chapter number 48 in your Bibles this morning. <clears throat> a friend of mine, Ricardo Payne, uh, gave me a framed matted print of a famous lighthouse. And that print of that famous lighthouse... Uh, hangs on a wall in my office. And uh, this famous picture of a famous lighthouse has drawn many a question over the years. 
is it real? Is it an actual photograph? And, and yes, it really is real. Here it is up on the screen for you this morning. This is the photograph, a very real photograph that was taken many years ago. And it is the most famous, I'm told, the most famous photograph of a lighthouse anywhere. It was captured by a photographer from a helicopter. He was out one December day capturing storm photographs in the North Atlantic off the shore of France. You can see there his name, and I'm, I uh, am not adept in pronouncing French names or French words of any kind for that matter, so I'm just going to call him John. But uh, he's the photographer. This is the Le Jument Lighthouse in France. Took the picture back in the 1980s. The photographer's John, and the guy in the doorway is Theodore Malgorn, or I'll just call him Theodore, standing in the doorway. It's a very real photograph. The photographer happened to be at the right place at the right time. Photographing, trying to capture storms in the North Atlantic off the coast of France. On this particular day, the storm that was raging in the North Atlantic had damaged the warehouse, and the four lighthouse keepers that were in the lighthouse were told that a helicopter was on its way to rescue them because they didn't know if the lighthouse would survive the storm. And so a rescue helicopter was on its way. When Theodore heard the sound of a helicopter, he thought it was the rescue helicopter. So he went to the door, and he stood in the doorway looking for the helicopter. It wasn't the rescue helicopter. It was a photographer looking for a million-dollar photograph, leaning outside the door of the helicopter, snapping pictures. The rescue helicopter did eventually come. All four keepers of the lighthouse survived the ordeal. And the photographer has probably become a wealthy man because that photograph can be found all over the world. It's framed, it's reproduced, and it's used as illustration material for a lot of different things. My particular copy of this photograph, which is about yay by yay, is framed and matted, and as I said, hanging in my office, and it has a verse on the bottom and a little cutout window in the mat. The verse says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. And when I look at that art, I know that the the guy in the doorway may or may not even know God. The photographer hanging out the window of the helicopter may or may not even know God. He was just looking for storm photos. But when I look at the photograph, and I see that man standing in the doorway of that lighthouse with a raging storm crashing around him, I think of the presence of God in my life. When all the chaos around me 
when all of the danger and uncertainty that surrounds my life, I imagine the man in the door as me, experiencing perfect calm because I know that regardless of the chaos and the danger and the frustrations and the disappointments, I know that all is well. Because God is with me in the midst of the storm. I want us to think for a few moments about the meaning of the presence of God in our lives. The value of that presence in our lives. The bottom line up front, the bluff of the message is simply God's presence is all I need. I don't need calm to have calm. I don't need a lack of chaos to have peace. I don't need health to be happy. I don't need prosperity to praise God. All I need is to know he's with me in whatever the circumstances and situations are. The presence of God really is all that I need. Now, I, I, I don't mind having some of the other stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to try to take, talk God into not allowing me to have any of the other stuff. But I don't need the other stuff. But I do need God. And I need to know he's with me. I need to sense his presence. I need to feel his presence. I need to know the presence of my God in my life. You know, nothing takes the place of a person's presence. This, this is not an advertisement for her. She certainly carries a lot of baggage, but she's a well-known uh, personality, counselor. She's known as Dr. Laura. You've heard of her, no doubt. I understand that a radio caller called into her program one day and it was a young man who wanted to provide better things for his family. And so he was contemplating on taking a job offer that was going to pay him considerably more money. He told Dr. Laura, he said, however, it will take my presence from my family for weeks at a time. Reportedly, Dr. Laura replied back to him, your kids don't need more stuff, but they do need you. You know, that's good advice. There's nothing that takes place, the place of the presence of somebody that's important to you. I know that from personal experience growing up. The presence of my dad, the presence of my mom, and then later in my adulthood, the presence of my wife, the presence of my kids, now the presence of my grandkids, all 14 of them, all at one time when I can get them all at one time. Organized chaos. 20-some people and three or four dogs in a townhouse for five days, that is organized chaos. And Betty and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You can't replace the presence of somebody that's important to you. And that is so true about our God. 
the presence of God in our lives. Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah is there. I want to share with you two simple aspects of the presence of God. The first one, I just want to, I just want to step through some things. And then we'll close the message with the second aspect of the presence of God. The first aspect is the scope of God's presence throughout the Bible. Do you realize that when you go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the presence of God in a person's life is emphasized over and over and over again. The Bible opens with the presence of God in a human's life. The Bible ends with the presence of God in the life of humanity. From the beginning to the end of our Bible, from the beginning to the end of human history, God emphasizes his presence. We know that with God and Adam in the Garden of Eden, walking in the cool of the day. God was present, walking with them, talking with them. He was present with them. It, it was, it was uh, they, could, they could feel his presence. They could talk audibly with him. And he talked audibly back the presence of God. Moses on Mount Sinai, God descended down upon the mountain. The mountain shook and God spoke to Moses. God communicated directly to Moses. God and Moses at the tabernacle, when the tabernacle had been built there at, Mount, at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the presence of God came, the Shekinah glory of God filled the tabernacle, and they experienced the very presence of God. Israel as a nation had the presence of God there with them. Many years later, Solomon, when the temple was built, the the, uh, the structure of the temple was built and dedicated. The Bible says that the Shekinah glory of God, just like it came to the tabernacle in Moses' day, came and filled the temple there in Solomon's presence. The presence of God was dynamic and powerful for the people of God in the Old Testament. But then we're confronted with something that gives us pause to stop and reflect. And it happened in the days of Ezekiel. Let me tell you about it. I gave you the verses. If we had time, we would go through each of the passages that are listed there and read the specific verses. Powerful statements about the presence of God. You say, what happened? Well, Ezekiel was a preacher at a time when Israel had gotten so far away from God that the long-suffering God of God, like a rubber band, had been stretched to the point that it snapped. And God would no longer warn. The time for judgment had come. So God raised up a foreign nation, Iraq. Back in that day, it was called Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, as they came in in three successive stages and wiped out Israel. Finally, on the third stage, they tore the city of Jerusalem down into rubble, burnt the, the buildings. Anything that was wood was burnt, and everything that was stone was torn down. And, and, and God used a foreign country as the instrument of meeting out his judgment on the people of the Old Testament who had gotten so far away from God that God could no longer put up with their presence. Ezekiel was carried away captive in one of those three successive battles, one of the earlier ones. Ezekiel was carried away into captivity in Babylon 11 years before 
the final siege and destruction of Jerusalem. God took, God used Ezekiel to preach to the captives that were taken into slavery, the Jewish slaves living in Babylon. And Ezekiel was their pastor and their preacher. And God came and gave Ezekiel a series of visions. The majority of the book of Ezekiel is the record of the visions and the sermons that God gave to Ezekiel for him to explain to the slaves in Babylon, the Jewish slaves. He actually came in a vision and took Ezekiel back to Jerusalem and let Ezekiel see what had happened that warranted the severity of judgment that God meted out. And Ezekiel records how God took him back to Jerusalem and God took him to places. It describes the rooms, the places around the temple, the groups of people that God took him and let him eavesdrop and let him listen in and see what Israel was doing that was so wrong that God's judgment was the right thing for God to do. And Ezekiel went back, God took him back to Babylon and he told the slaves, this is why we're in slavery. This is what you and your parents and your grandparents did. This is why God's judgment is righteous and just. And he laid it all out in front of them. But then he described that Shekinah glory of God as it lifted off the temple. And the Shekinah glory of God departed from Israel before God's final judgment against Israel. Now we're talking about the presence of God. And the presence of God was gone. God was no longer there in the capacity that he had been there since his glory filled the tabernacle generations earlier under Moses' leadership. Now the glory's gone. But then Ezekiel, God showed Ezekiel something else that hadn't happened yet. But God showed him a vision of it so he could go back and tell the Jewish slaves in Babylon, hey, this isn't the end of this story. This judgment isn't the end of this story. And God allowed Ezekiel to see something that we still haven't seen happen yet. It's still future. And he let Ezekiel see the Shekinah glory of God come back to a temple that hasn't even been built yet. It won't be built till probably during the tribulation period or very, very soon before the tribulation period begins. And, and, and he sees the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God come back to a temple that hasn't even been built yet. And the presence of God was reestablished with the people of God. And God allowed Ezekiel to see it so he could tell the people, it's bad, we're in judgment the glory of God is gone. The presence of God was taken away. But this isn't the end. There's hope. There's a future. It's going to come back. And God's presence will once again be realized by his people. And that brings us to the last verse of the book of Ezekiel. The last verse. After describing the temple, after describing the glory coming back, after describing the land being given back to the descendants of, of Israel, verse number 35, 
in the middle of the verse says, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. The presence of God established amongst his people. You notice that the word Lord is all capitalized. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the way the translators alerted you in the Old Testament that the Hebrew name, the Hebrew word is Jehovah. Jehovah Shema. Translated into the English, the Lord is there. That's the name that God gave us to describe his presence amongst his people. And that city will be known by God's name. God is here. Now turn over, back over to Revelation chapter 21 again. Let me show you a couple of things from Revelation chapter 21. Because I want you to understand that heaven is defined by the presence of God. Heaven is described by the presence of God. The essence of heaven is the presence of God. If you don't like the presence of God now, you won't like heaven. Because heaven is the presence of God. If if I could say it without it being taken irreverently, it's the presence of God on steroids in comparison to our experience of the presence of God here and now. Heaven is the presence of God to a degree unknown by any human being before heaven. Look at Revelation 21. Uh, John is describing this new heavens and this new earth, and he's describing what it's all about. He, he says, a new heaven and a new earth, the former's passed away, and there was no more sea. I love that phrase. And there was no more sea. You know, one of the great things about heaven is there's no beaches. You say, what do you mean? The good thing about heaven is there's no beaches. I like the beach. I mean, beachfront property is valuable property. What do you mean no more, no more sea? You mean no more sea, no more sailboats, no more beaches, no more. And there's no more sea. Now, Bible students, learn a basic principle of biblical interpretation. What it meant in the ears of the people who first read it is what God meant. They didn't have sail, they, they didn't have vacation property on the beach when John wrote that. But you know what they did have? John was enslaved on an island of Patmos, and the sea is what separated him from the presence of his family. The sea is what separated him from the church that he'd pastored for many years. The sea is what separated him from everything that was important to him in life relationally and he said you know something (laughs) you know what heaven's going to be like there's no more barriers there's no more sea that's going to keep me away from my family and and my church and the people are important to me in my life heaven is a place of relationships heaven is a place where there's no barriers keeping us away But you know what else the sea was in John's day? The sea was a very dangerous place. Women would see their husbands go off to sea 
and not know if they'd ever see them come home again because the sea was a dangerous place. So they would see their son get on a ship and go off as a sailor not knowing if they'd ever come back again because the sea was a dangerous place. In more recent time, not recent now, but recent to the time of the Bible, the, the women would sometimes have a perch at the top of the house if they lived near a sea where husbands and sons went off to the sea and they would get up on that perch and they would look out to the horizon to see if they could see the mast of a boat on the horizon and wonder if that ship is carrying my husband back. You know what that perch is called? They call it the widow's watch because many women were widowed by the sea. Many moms were left without sons because of the sea. And all those things that are dangerous, all those things that take away our relationships, all those things that break our relationships, all those things that rob us of the presence of those who are important to us, there's going to be no more sea in heaven because we will enjoy the presence of everyone that's vital and important to us. So he's describing relationally. He said, I saw in verse 2, uh, 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 the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. He sees this city descending down. And, and, and he, said, he said, it looks like a bride adorned for her husband. By the way, if you, I, I, I drew a line from the end of verse 2 to the beginning of verse number 9 in my Bible because the context jumps immediately to verse number 9 where he says, there came unto me one of the seven angels had the seven vials. They said, come hither, let me show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away. What did he see? He saw the great city, the holy Jerusalem. He goes from verse 2 to verse number 9 in context. But what's in verse number 3 to verse number 8? It's almost like you're watching a news broadcast. You're watching the evening news. And all of a sudden, something happens in the world that is so earth-shattering that they break in to the news broadcast. And all of a sudden, news flash, news flash. And it's so important that you have to, you have to know this right now. God is with man. In this new environment. I heard a great voice. I heard a great voice. This news flash. This booming voice. Said God will dwell with them. God will be with them. They're going to be with God. You know how heaven is described? Heaven is described as the presence of God. That's the news flash. That's the biggest news story. That's the biggest thing to know. Heaven is the experience of the presence of God every day. Heaven is described by who is there, God, and by what's not there because he is there. The very next verse says that God will wipe away tears, no more death, sorrow, crying, no more pain. All that, that's passed away. And verse 5 says all things are made new. Heaven is described by who is there and what is not there because of who is there. 
That's the essence of heaven. It's the presence of God in our experience. The Bible opens with the presence of God. The Bible ends with the presence of God. Human history begins with the presence of God. Human history ends with the presence of God. I want to say this morning, there's nothing more important to you in your life than to live with a constant understanding and awareness that God is present with you right now in this circumstance, in this situation. He is there in your life. We have a personal God. We have a God that is real, a God who is present, a God who communicates. You can have a relationship with that God. He can be your best friend. He can be as a father to you. He can be your dad who happens to live in heaven. And you can talk to him as you talk to your dad. And you can enjoy sitting down and having a cup of coffee with him. His presence in your life. He is real. He is personable. He is there. And he communicates. The presence of God is real in our lives or can be. He can solve the problem of your sin and rebellion that made you his enemy. When Israel's sin got to the point where God said, that's it, I'm done. And his presence was taken away. They became slaves in a foreign land in captivity. But then God solved the problem of the rebellion. By coming to earth and dying on a cross of Calvary. To solve the problem of sin and rebellion. And then the invitation come. Just come. Talk to me about your sin. Come now. Let's reason together. Tell me what you've done. I know it anyway. But tell me. Because you need to say it. You need to own it. It's not enough to glibly say, well, yeah, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I've committed a sin. Come reason with me. Come talk to me. And your sin can be made as white as snow. (laughs) God wants to establish peace with every person. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. The name for God that we meditated on for two weeks. Because we didn't have prayer sheets during missions revival. So we meditated for two weeks. On the name Jehovah Shalom. God my peace. In prayer meeting last Wednesday night. We talked about having made peace with God. Through the blood of the cross. So that I could have the peace of God. In the daily experiences of my life. The peace of God in my life is intricately related to Jehovah Shema. God is present with me in my life right now. And because of his presence, I can be like that man standing in the doorway of that lighthouse. And I can be filled with peace and calm 
in spite of the raging storm around me because God is present with me in my life. And that's going to be multiplied exponentially when we step into his presence and see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2 tells us. We'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And the presence of God will take on an exponentially greater meaning than it even does now. But it does mean something now. Because Jesus gathered the apostles in the upper room. He said, guys, I'm leaving. My presence is gone. I'm going to die. I'm going to go back to heaven. You know where I'm going, Thomas. Where are you going? We don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get to wherever you're going to be. Jesus said, I'm leaving. My presence is going to be withdrawn from you. However, I will not leave you orphans. I'm going to send another comforter. He has been with you, but now he's going to be in you. And my presence, rather than a physical body that you can see and that we can sit around the campfire in the night and talk about things, rather than my physical presence in front of you that you can see with your eyes and hear with your ears, I will live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. I won't leave you as an orphan without me. I will be there with you. My presence will be real. I don't, I don't know where you're going. I don't know how, how do we get to wherever you're going to go? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You come by faith. And I come to live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And my presence is with you always. What does the presence of God mean to me practically? What is the value? The scope of the presence of God is seen from Genesis to Revelation. But what's its value in my experiences? And I want to just give you these four thoughts for you to meditate on this week. Because what the value of the presence of God in your life is depends on the circumstance in your life which you're going through. I know that as a kid growing up. There were times when the presence of my dad wasn't as joyful to me as other times. I'll never forget the big fight we were having. The three of us boys, we shared one bedroom. You know, I want you to feel sorry for me. I have never had my own bedroom in my life. There were three of us until I went to college. Then there were four of us sharing one room in college. And then I got married, and there's been two of us ever since. I have never had my own bedroom. Well, on that particular night, we were having a rip-snorting of a fight in our bedroom, my two brothers and I. And we were tearing the place apart. You know, we were kids. How do we know that Dad would find out? I mean, he's only right underneath us in the living room. How would he know what's going on upstairs? All of a sudden, we saw Dad. He was sitting on the top stair just watching. The first one that saw him stopped fighting and went and crawled into bed, leaving two fighting. Till the second one saw him, went and crawled into bed, leaving one. Wondering what happened to the fight. Till he saw Dad. 
You know, I found out that day that dad's presence wasn't always something that made me feel good. The presence of God is so vital. And yet it's different depending on the circumstances of life we're going through. Let me give you four real quick. Number one, in times of disobedience, God is my witness, judge, and jury. He said to the people of Israel through the preacher Jeremiah, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth? You know God sees everything you do. In the middle of the night, at three in the morning, when you're hunkered around your computer screen and you think nobody in the world knows, you know God is sitting right there beside you looking at everything you look at, listening to everything you listen to. God is always, he's not a God afar off. He's a God that's present. He's always there. But what that presence means to you, if you are in a experience of disobedience, that means his presence. Well, he's your jury, your judge, and he's your witness about your behavior. But I remember Proverbs 3 says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Did you ever get weary of your dad's correction? I got weary of dad's correction. I, many a times I got weary of dad's correction. God says, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Don't be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. I didn't understand at the time, but I grew to learn. The dad's presence in my life in those times of disobedience, he was my best friend. He was there to catch me in my disobedience in order to deal with my disobedience so that I could learn and grow in obedience such that he would save me a lifetime of pain if I didn't learn to obey. Don't be weary of God's chastisement. He loves you. That's why he's catching you in your sin. That's why he's dealing with you in your sin. He's wanting to save you future pain by helping you to learn now the blessings of obedience. So what is the value of the presence of God in my life? If I'm in an experience of disobedience, it is my hope for a better future because he holds me accountable out of love for me. Number two, in tragedy, he's my comfort. What does it mean to me for God to be present with me at a time of tragedy? He's my comfort. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned that. Nebuchadnezzar said, as he looked into the fiery furnace, he says, hey, didn't you guys throw three men into the fiery furnace? Why do I see four men in the fiery furnace? And why does one of them look remarkably like the Son of God? You know, Jesus Christ went through the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was their comforter during times of tragedy. The psalmist said it in a way that we all relate to when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for 
thou art with me. The presence of God in the tragedies of life. I will not fear for thou art with me. The presence of God is my comfort when I'm in times of tragedy. Number three, in weakness, he's my strength. Joshua felt so incapable of leading this nation of two and a half million people. After all of these 40 years under Moses, the great Moses, the the mountain of of, of experience and, and wisdom, Moses, how can I take Moses' place? How can I fill Moses' shoes? How can I ever succeed after Moses? He felt so weak. He felt so incapable And so God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5 and 9, God said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. For the Lord thy God is with thee. The presence of God. When I don't feel like I can measure up, the presence of God to me at that time in my life is a strength to be able to go on to do what he's called me to do. I enjoy his presence. He's your strength. You ever been given a job to do and you don't think that you can measure up? You ever had someone put a responsibility on your back and you just don't think you have enough to be able to do it? When you feel you are weak, the presence of God has value to you. The value is he is your strength. In a time of weakness. And finally, in victory, in victory, he is my supporter, Stephen. Oh, Stephen. He preached so powerfully there in Jerusalem just weeks after they crucified Jesus Christ. To the very ones that crucified him. To stand before the very ones who crucified Christ and preach about Jesus Christ. Oh, they hated Stephen for that. The Bible says they actually rushed him and gnawed on him with their teeth. Can you imagine being so mad at somebody that you rush over to them and you grab them and begin to chew on their kneecap? Begin to bite them on the stomach. They were so angry at Stephen. They gnawed on him. Then they grabbed stones. And they killed him. By throwing big stones and crushing his skull. Breaking his body. You say, well that doesn't sound like. Victory to me. Oh yeah, but it was. Because before Stephen died, he looked up and God opened up the heavens. And you know what he saw? He saw Jesus Christ. You know, whenever the Bible talks about Jesus Christ in heaven, the Bible talks about him as seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But that's not what Stephen saw. The only time. In the Bible, where Jesus is depicted at the throne with God the Father, standing. He stood up and gave Stephen a standing ovation for the victory of his life. Because right over there 
is a lost man who got saved because of that. You know him. He's Paul. He'll start churches all over the world. And Jesus gave Stephen a standing ovation for the victory of his faith. The victory of his service for God. You know, God is with you in your victory. And if you look up to heaven, God might allow you to see, see, see Jesus giving you a standing ovation for a job well done in the service of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, the presence of God is always there, but what that presence of God means depends on the situation that you're in. If he caught you in disobedience, he's there to punish you, to chastise you, because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to suffer the rest of your life from that kind of disobedience. He wants to correct that in your life. Yeah, if, if, if you're weak, he's your strength to enable you to do what you don't think you could do. If, if, if it's a tragedy and your heart is broken, you got the report back, the malignant and, and, and everything is going wrong and you got the pink slip at work and you don't know how you're going to live and, and, you, and you're just experiencing tragedy in your life. Jesus Christ's presence is your, is your comfort to go through the fire with you. And if you have experienced a great victory that cost you dearly, he just might be giving you a standing ovation. The presence of God in your life is really important every day. It's something to be cultivated. It's something to be developed. The presence of God in your life requires that you be saved. Because the presence of God in the life of an enemy whose sin and rebellion has made them alienated from God, an enemy by wicked works, Colossians 1 explains. You've got to be born again in order for the presence of God to be meaningful in your life. Now as a child of God, but once you're born again, his presence helps you in every situation you're going through in life. And one day, one day, this experience of the presence of God is going to explode into an experience of the presence of God in which we will see him as he is. We will be like him in that moment. And heaven is described and defined and as being a place where God is there with us. And we are with him every day, all day long, forever. Enjoying the presence of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you... Know the presence of God in your life. Religion never gives the presence of God. Religion just gives people a list of things to do to try to, to, try to feel good about themselves. Maybe even earn God's favor. That is so sad. That man builds these religions that have no presence of God in them. Just have steps, check boxes, things to do to earn God. Oh, but the Bible tells us of a 
God who offers us a relationship, a personal relationship, where he's with me. And we can cultivate that by listening to him speak to us when we read his word. And then by talking to him about what's important to him. And we cultivate the very presence of God in our lives. That's what praying without ceasing is all about. It is cultivating such a presence, a relationship of the presence of God that I find myself without ceasing in communion with my God about everything that happens to me in my life. Enjoy the presence of God in your life. He is Jehovah Shammah. And as you meditate on that name of God this week in your prayer times and devotions, and as you pray and worship God in prayer for being the God whom he is, enjoy his presence in your life.